This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. This is episode 13 with me, Justin Barclay. It's On Purpose. This is On Purpose with Justin Barclay. Extraordinary stories of ordinary heroes on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to On Purpose. My name's Justin Barclay, reformed radio shock jock turned inspiration junkie. Each week, we bring you extraordinary stories of ordinary heroes living their daily lives, turning pain into purpose, finding opportunity in the obstacles, and transforming tragedy into triumph. What separates them from the others? How do they stand out above the crowd? We dissect their process and uncover their powerful secrets, the keys to living life on purpose. All right, welcome to On Purpose, and I am really excited to bring you uh, this episode for a couple of reasons. Number one, we had a super crazy, amazing guest lined up for you this weekend. I couldn't wait to release this episode to you, and then at the last minute, it all fell through. And that happens. Those are the kind of things that happen. Um, But instead of rushing to find another guest to interview, we thought we'd do something completely different, and I've been kind of talking about this with a good friend of mine for a while. And said, I'd love to give the audience a chance to hear my story and hear more about me. I kind of talk about it and, you know, hint about it every now and then. Why don't we give them a closer look? But the key is I really want to be interviewed by somebody that has a good perspective. Someone who knows me can call me out on my BS if I have any of that pop out. And also, I want to make sure that you get a look at me that nobody else has had or will give you. So... My good friend from a couple of episodes past, Eric Holkren, joins me on this episode. And man, does he pull out some interesting things. Man, does he pull out some great stuff. We started a place that I never thought he would, and we get to a place that I never thought we would have gotten to. So it's this week's episode. Sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy it. A little glimpse into my life and my journey. How I got here. The Reformed Radio Shock Shock, now living life on purpose. This is On Purpose on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. This is On Purpose on on the Blaze Radio Network. 
This is On Purpose with Justin Barclay, and as you can tell, I am not uh, Justin Barclay. My name is Eric Hulkerin, and uh, I have uh, had the pleasure of working with Justin for a number of years prior to his trip to Detroit, and then, of course, back here to West Michigan, where he started this podcast and uh, about a million other things to help make the world a better place. And so, Justin, welcome to your own show. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> uh, it, I, I just thought this would be a fun way to do this. And I, you had reached out to me a, a month or two ago and said, hey, um, would you be up for a role reversal? Meaning like you host the thing and, right. and talk to me about where I came from. And, and because in this show, a lot of times you give us little nuggets about where you came from and, and you continually go back to the dream job becoming a nightmare and, sure. you know, a, a reformed shock jock. But without any of the context that kind of gets us to yeah. 2016 in May of that year. So let's go all the way back. And and one of the things that will be fun about this is... Um, You've lived in my house for a number of years. <laughs> We've worked together for a number of years. So we can really start to tear apart the core of what makes Justin Barclay, Justin Barclay. But let's go all the way back to when you're a kid, because you were one of these guys that that came up in the radio industry that was bit really early by the radio mm. bug. And, and, you know, in the modern world, you're probably not going to find too many people like yourself that wanted to start at such an early age. So let's go back and you're, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And, and what are you doing at that point? It's so funny because when we had this conversation, I'll just be completely candid and open here. But when we had this conversation, like Eric's like, what do you want me to tell? What, what should we do? Where should we start? And I'm like, dude, just, just uh, you know me, just start and we'll kind of talk about how I got here. But I never expected you to go like, yeah, let's go back to when you were a kid. <laughs> well, because I think that sets the stage, though, for, so for how you get into yeah. shock jockism, if that's a, yeah, a sure. way to describe it. And then, uh, and then, right. out, you know, and then out of it, right? right? right. So, um, yeah, no, when I was a kid, uh, and, and you can go back, we did this. My mom kept these books this weird book thing that had like every year, you know, your new, your, you know, from kindergarten to like senior year of high school and these little folders where she like kept every little award that my brother and I won our report cards and everything. And she shoved them into these little folders. So through the years you can start to see, like I started out, it would ask, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think like I started out, I'm sure like astronaut and, and, and we just went back and right. looked at these things, right? <laughs> and settled on DJ. <laughs> yeah. And I think there was a time like I was like doctor and things like that. And I think what ends up happening is through the years, I was always kind of like this ham. I was always kind of like performing and for, for my parents or my grandparents or people that were around, you know, their friends and, um, I think as a kid, I really loved getting that attention. I loved getting that pop of, you know, uh, putting smiles on people's faces and seeing seeing the reaction, that kind of thing. So I probably, I'm assuming at some point, figured out, hold on, I can do something completely different. Because as you start to go through school and you say, yeah, I want to be a doctor, then you start to realize, well, there's like a lot of school involved with that and there's a lot of science and a lot of math and those are not really things that I was good at or let's just say it this way not that I wasn't good at them I just didn't I wasn't drawn to them to use one of your favorite phrases it wasn't a passion of yours it right? wasn't it just wasn't and and um I saw you know I think you start to get at least I did even as a kid like start to get I don't know if it's realistic or just about more about 
hey, I want to do what I like and I don't want to do the things that I don't like, which I'm sure every kid, you know, you right. know that. Yes. You, you're yes. the father too now, right? I mean, so I started, I started kind of, I guess, gravitating. I started listening to certain, and I remember I first, like, I think we were out um, somewhere in um, public where there was like a live remote broadcast being done. And there was a DJ from one of the radio stations and he put me on the air and a lot of them would like whenever we would meet because here's this kid who says ridiculous things <laughs> and almost talks like an adult, you know, so uh, I, and I remember one year my parents, my dad I was really young. My dad bought a new car and they had this big tent sale and there was, you know, uh, there was a guy like on the microphone you know, doing this spiel about you should come get your car. Here's the prices of the deals we have. I don't really remember, but they made the mistake of letting me talk on the microphone for a few minutes. And I think it got to the point where they're like, okay, cut this kid off. Let's take the thing. <laughs> My mom was like, you're going to have to take it away from him now. So um, there were these little bits and pieces throughout my childhood, even like a little a point where my parents, like I begged them for this Mr. Microphone toy. Do you remember? Do of you course remember I do. Yeah. So it's the like commercial a commercial where he's driving. I'll be back for you later. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember. So yeah. it's, a, it's like this radio. It's like a wireless microphone thing. Right. And it and it tunes into a radio station. And so you can just talk into this this microphone. You can sing. You could do whatever, you know. Um, so I was like, uh, from the beginning, I mean, I was kind of like born with a microphone in my hand, you know, um, where we get to the real start in radio is like in seventh grade, they, they asked us to do a report on what you want to do. And by then, I don't know what age it was tearing through that book to find out, but by then I definitely knew I want to be a DJ. I had been listening. I'd listened to this guy in the mornings. Uh, locally where I was. His name was Brian Jackson. He went by Beej in the Breakfast Bunch. Of course he did. And of course, and he was great, man. He he was he was he was a lot of fun to listen to and I, I owe him a lot, but like he did like the the um like fake voices. He would have like characters and he would have conversations with himself. One of one of them uh, one of them's name was like Wicked Wanda and like Wanda would come in and have these conversations and she worked at a donut shop and I just remember all these weird, you know, but this was this was old, you know, old school sure. old time. Um, but he was just really funny, still funny to this day. He's still on the radio. So same station. No, no. Uh, you know how that goes. I do know how that goes. Yeah. Same, same, same area, though, yeah. same city. So he um, in seventh grade, uh, I said, I'm going to do my report. I'm going to do this thing where I, I want to be a. A DJ. I want to be on the on the radio. So let me let me go interview this guy. So I, I'm I called him up and I had been talking to him. I think during during this time of me like trying to now I've like I love the microphone. I, let me get as much my time as possible. So during this time, I'm like calling him and giving him bits, like not even realize what I'm doing, except for when I call him and say funny things, because I've heard other people, he'll put me on the radio, he'll put me on the air. So I start like thinking of these things that I can do as a kid, right, you know, and calling him. So he kind of got to know me. And in seventh grade, I called up and I said, Hey, we got this project. Can I come over and interview you? 
So my dad drives me and my buddy at the time, his name's Brett Winters, and Brett and his family have one of these huge VHS camcorders that are like Yes, yep. It's like your it's like a suitcase on top of your uh, shoulder when you're filming. And so he's gonna film the whole thing. So somewhere there's still I think my mom probably still has it somewhere, a tape of me interviewing this guy. And he shows me everything. And he like, I'm asking questions. What does that thing do? What is, what are you doing here? And, um, and we watch him do a show and just afterwards in between he takes, you know, takes a break. We go out back, we talk and he, you know, he gives me really good advice. Like, uh, you know, I hate, you know, I was super young. So my voice was super high and I didn't really like, you know, what do I do with my voice? And he's like, well, you know, get a tape recorder get a book and any book could be anything and just start reading things into the tape recorder. Oh, okay, cool. So we'll start doing things like that. Um, and one thing leads to another in between this time I had done like mobile DJing as like a kind of like a business, um, with a couple of in seventh grade. I don't think maybe it started like eighth grade. Eighth grade or ninth grade started at a high school, maybe. Um, but then I started doing mobile DJing for like the dances for different schools and had a little that was my entrepreneurial spirit. Sure. Right. Yeah. So I was doing that. And then in, um, in, in my senior year of high school, they had a program in the where I went to school uh, where you could take your your like half a day and go work at this real radio station that the that the that the schools owned okay so it was like a it was like a public it was 90.7 wpsr and you can probably imagine what we called it because of that <laughs> right yes <laughs> i mean only in the hallways obviously yes, clearly yes that, right but, yeah but um you could go and, and we actually as the kids great guy ran this his name was michael reiniger he was a great teacher and he just let the kids run wild and it was kind of like the first semester, we give you, like, the textbook. Here's the history of radio. Here's, like, all the legal stuff you have to know. This was before you are after. You didn't really need a license at this point to start. You just could, like, be on. So um, I start coming in, like, early, like, in the morning because I want my own morning show. And, well, here I can do it, Sure, right? yeah. So I start going and, and doing doing those things and kind of just it takes off and i remember one day where a guy had come into one of the speakers had come in to talk and that he he had like a little weekend show like on this radio station was all requests but it was guest hosted they'd have listeners come in and so of course i said hey man can i come in and be a guest on your show can i do that so, of course, when they do that, they hand you the thing and read this, and it's a very minimal role that listeners would, right. would have anyway. But As one would imagine, right. you're putting random listeners on a radio station. But he's like, dude, when we started doing it, he's like, dude, you're pretty good. You should, you know, have you ever thought about, and one thing leads to another, there's a, there's a um, part-time opening, and that's my first gig right there. It was overnight, my first night ever, overnight. Christmas Eve on on the weekend where I, I came in and all I really all I could do was just put the music in, put the CDs in, yep. right? Press play. It was all Christmas music. They just basically they just needed somebody to keep the station yep. on the air. Yes. 
Now, I don't know that I would have gotten the same start because you don't need that. I got computers now. So that's... So that night, how old are you on Christmas Eve when you're going to work from midnight to 6 a.m.? 16. 16. You're going to work midnight to 6 a.m. Yeah. Doing the thing that you love. Oh, I was in heaven. It was the best Christmas gift ever. I was in absolute... I mean, it was... Uh, so, so what are your parents like at this point? Like, do they... They're obviously supporting because you're doing it, but are they, you know, do they... Do they have the foresight to see what's going to happen here? Or are they just like, oh, this is a cute thing that Justin wants to do right now. And maybe eventually he'll get back to the lawyer thing he was talking about earlier. That's so funny because I think they supported me in in a lot of ways. But also the thing that I always heard about (laughs) ever, like all the way through my childhood was you got to have something to fall back on. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, so I mean, I understand why they would say it or anybody else would say it, but you got to have something to fall back on. You got to have as if this wasn't going to be the thing that I that I did. And it's very possible that it wasn't going to be the thing that I did. I remember when I dropped out of college, and I say dropped out because I, I was only really enrolled kind of like in name only. I wasn't really I don't know. I mean, I didn't go. <laughs> well, you the, never you never went? I went to like one class, there was one, there was like a psychology class, and there was also a, like some sort of math class that I went to that I just hated, and I was already working, and I remember sitting in that class, and I'm like, what am I going to use this for? What is, the, what is the meaning of any of this? And I'm paying for it, so I'm just kind of thinking, this makes no sense to me. I've already got my job. I feel like the college or whatever the training program would be, and this was my thought process at the time, was to get your foot in the door. That's why you're there, right? I got it. I already got my foot in the door. So why not invest all my time there in real life learning the skill set there? And, and that's, that's what I did. So, but I was completely thrown off with college. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. Matter of fact, when people would ask me interns, et cetera, when I was on the radio for years and years, they would say, you know, you know what do I, what should I do? And I'm like, well, yes, go to college. So I still kind of had that old person vibe in me that would say, you need something to fall back on. You know, but was it the old person vibe or did you see the writing in the wall at that point? Because, you know, I happen to be in your life at that point when you're having interns and we Mm -hmm. both knew that that the industry was not the same one you entered at age 16. Well, I think it's a couple of things. Number one, not everybody can do this. Like it's just not not everybody can. I think it's a perfect storm. Like you find what you're good at. You have the perfect amount of Malcolm Gladwell, you know, 10,000 hours or whatever. And. But you also have certain people have certain talents or certain gifts. And when all those come together, that's when they kind of work out, right? That's when it kind of works. And some people just didn't have the ability to, to be on the air, to be present, to have that presence. You know, I think um, I, I think it can be learned, but I also think there's a bit natural. There's some natural pieces of that. There's some people that you know, loved radio and loved hanging out, but just, and and being around us, but just weren't meant to be on air. And so you have to kind of say like, this is great, but you know, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's this, if this is an actual real quote, because you know how the quotes are, but there's a, there's a supposed quote by, um, um, fear and loathing guy. Uh, what's his name? But it says like, uh, that that radio is a dark hallway of thieves and sure you know what i mean yep 
It's so true, but I think he also said it about the music. It's been accredited to uh, the music business and and all kinds of different businesses. So I mean, it, it it maybe it was about the radio business, maybe it wasn't, but it definitely lines up. So it really had to be something that you love to do and you wanted to do. And one of the best pieces of advice came from the guy, the same guy that I interviewed, the morning guy, when I interviewed him. He said to our class, um, actually, when he, he he came back and he spoke and he said. Uh, don't basically his advice was whatever you do don't do it don't do this unless you really want to do it i mean unless you really 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 want to do this because at that point i think he had seen enough and this is 1996 so this is the introduction of the telecom act that has completely i think was responsible for just decimating the industry in a lot of in a lot of in a lot of ways i think holistically yeah i mean it, when you go back and read what it did and then see what it did i think you're probably 100 percent correct that's another conversation for another show but Absolutely. yeah i mean things get disrupted here's the thing bottom line is and we're still let me look i mean we're at a point now where do all do the radio stations do all of them serve a, a public good or are they serving the best interest of the community i mean i would argue that probably not because there's probably a handful that do, and then there's most of them that, that probably don't. But because of technology nowadays, the disruption is already happening. It's happening everywhere, in every industry, and in every field. And right now, this industry is being disrupted as well. You and I are doing a podcast. We're sitting like a few blocks away from the place that we used to work, right? Right. And this show is going to be heard by plenty of people. It's going to be heard by quite a few and has the potential to be heard by even more people than could have listened to that on-air terrestrial show. So technology is going to play a big part there. But um, in 96, he saw the writing on the wall, I think. um, And he was one of the first guys to get paid really well, got a really good contract. Um, And it's funny because... You saw a lot of that stuff change. You know, I don't know what he's making now. I don't know. I just, you know, I know, I, I, I assume he's happy. But, um, you know, it, it's um, that the, the industry's definitely changed. But that's, that's kind of part of my message, you know, is that every industry, everything's changing. That's part of my, that's just part of my, my whole conversation here is that people are waking up. For me, it was when I lost my dream job. You know, it eventually turned into a nightmare. We talked about that. Sure. So I'm here. I'm having fun. I'm having a blast in a lot of different ways In when I'm working with you and throughout the country. I mean, I had some amazing times. Part of it came from just throwing all my chips on the table and saying, like, I don't ever think that I was all in all the time. So, like, it was always a gamble every day. And I kind of liked that. But... When you get older, you get married, you start living your life for some, you know, for other purposes than just yourself. And you start taking a look at other things that matter and start to have to say, well, I can't go all in every time because, you know, other people depend on me. You got to have something left. And I don't want to necessarily say, like, I had to come back to the parents thing where I was like, you need a fault. You need to have a fallback plan. You need to have some sort of backup. 
because that's not it. You know, I mean, for me, my backup was the skills, was what I knew, what I learned. And I think a lot of people are going to find themselves in that position. Chances are right now, no matter what you do, you have a certain particular set of skills. (laughs) You need a cell phone to do that. Uh, I will find you. And a much better Liam Neeson impersonation. I will find you. And I will. That's Sean Connery. Do a podcast. Right. Sorry. Okay. Um, But everyone has these. And you have to you have to be faced with the with the, the conversation. And I think I found myself in 2012 there. I have certain set of skills. What can I do with these? And do I need to add to them? Because chances are you do. Chances are you have a lot more than what you give yourself credit for. But you need to sharpen those skills and add to that skill set, add to those with others that you're going to need, too. Because in this economy that we live in today, the world we live in today, You'd need to have a better handle on a variety of different things. Maybe go deep, right, in in one thing, but have a variety of different ideas. Like, okay, I mean, radio was my thing, but I also had to know social media. I have to know that now, right? I have to have a little bit of marketing background, a little business, a little bit of financial to understand, you know, how to, when you, especially when you're running your own business, like, what to do with the money when right. it comes in. <laughs> right, right. Because you can find yourself, a lot of people do, I think, find themselves in a place where um, if they're out on their own, like I encourage people who want to, fo- to want to follow that path. I don't believe it's for everybody, but I do. If you want to be out on your own, I do say you've got to go, you've got to make sure um, that you're doing the right things because you'll find out in a hurry that you'll end up a slave to this same job in the same way that you were to the one that you were trying to get out of. So that's important. Got to know what you want. Absolutely. So we stopped in 1996. You sort of touched on 2012. There are a lot of years between then. So what we'll do is we'll take a really quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about when Justin uh, makes a stop in Cincinnati and kind of hones his chops, finds his way to Grand Rapids, (laughs) finds his way to Detroit, then finds his way back to Grand Rapids. It's all next. It's On Purpose with Justin Barclay. This is On Purpose with Justin Barclay on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. You know, this administration in particular has really made a almost an obsession of kind of perverting language or, or taking terms, not using perverted language, but of, 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 but of using terms in a way that is meant to obscure the reality of what is happening or meant to draw people's attention away from the truth of a given situation. And unfortunately, it's very effective. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is On Purpose with Justin Barclay on the Blaze Radio Network. It's On Purpose with Justin Barclay. My name is Eric Hulkerin, uh interviewing Justin Barclay about his kind of trip from where he started at age 11, being interested in radio, and then ending up where we are today, doing a podcast and talking about how to inspire people and get them to find the thing that they should actually be doing. And when we left off, Justin, we were talking about 1996, which is, um, and I'm not really sure about the actual years. I'm guessing we're about three years off, but like, is 1999 when you end up at WEBN? When does, like, what is... Oh, when- no, no. Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, my first, really, some really interesting 
stops in between. So I do like part time at a country station was my first station and eventually I end up on the air and amongst other things. Then I end up at a right from the country station to an urban station <laughs> on an AM radio <laughs> signal and doing like a night show. And it was like a really cool startup. These guys, um, they LMA, which is basically they leased the signal from another company who owned it and wasn't using it. And um, they let us come in and play what we wanted. We got to bring our own music in or had to bring our own music in. However right. you want to look at that. <laughs> right, right? right. And uh, got to just have have at it. And I think I had like three nights a week or something like that. So that was kind of my next step. Um, after that, I moved to Indianapolis for a short time, which was a bigger city, thinking I'll get a big I'll get a job here. And that will be the way that I kind of climb. I also was going to go to school. At that time, thinking in my mind, like the fallback, like still kind of sure. people are preaching that to me. So I'll do entertainment law. I can be a lawyer. I don't think I ever went to a single class there. <laughs> it just, and it may have been like a semester or so there. So, um, and meanwhile, I did interview for a job and a really nice guy talked to me and uh, one of the program directors there. And, um, and he says, well, we've got this job. You can, and I, so I could have had a job. I could have made money. Um, but it was like, we're going to have you. See, we have these high school football games and there's this radio station down the hall that's in a little closet that plays these high school football games. And we just need somebody to run those. Now I would be preaching to you right now, like take any, anything that you can get to get your foot in the door. But in my mind, in my own, maybe I was a little full of myself. Maybe I was just like a little delusional, but I'm thinking I've already been on the air. Sure. I've already, I'm not going backwards. I'm sorry. And so I actually went back to my hometown and uh, met a really good friend of mine who was working, um, on a radio station there doing afternoons. His name's uh, fish. Jimmy ocean is what he went by at the time. And, um, I would start I would start calling him up and talking to him and say, hey, man, what's going on? And then eventually we really struck it, struck it off. And like, uh, you know, I started coming in. He invited me to come in and work with him. And I kind of interned in, in some ways. Basically, this was the days where you could do things for free. And like there weren't people, you know, threatening to sue. And there was right. going to be a whole. Right. Yes. And honestly, I owe a lot of my career to be to being able to say I work for experience. That's what I did. So I came in, I answered phones for him. I helped him think of bits like creative, come up with those things. Um, and I was around. I was just around. And eventually they hired me to do uh, overnights on the weekends. And eventually new guy comes in, new, new program director comes in, and um, they need to hire. I don't remember what happened to the night guy, but they needed to hire a new night person. It was between me and this other uh, girl who I think had never done it before. Or maybe she did, but it was just like in college or something like that, right? Very little experience. She gets the gig. And I was like, oh, man, I totally expect and get it. But we worked out another deal. I worked out a deal with him where I would do like, I think it was like 10 to 1 or 11 to something like, you know, something like that. It was a late night show. They would give me $30,000 in trade. This, I don't know how I came up with the idea at this time, but this was the most, one of the most brilliant moves that I ever made because this station was one of these trade cow stations. Like they, <laughs> right. Yeah. They traded everything like 
homes were traded, furniture for everybody was traded. Like this whole, they lived on trade. The general manager was all about it. And what that means is, you know, if you're listening to this, you're like, what do you mean? Well, it, it means that we'll give you, you know, $5,000 worth of radio commercial time for $2,500 worth of product, so to speak. If, it, if you're going to you know, go to a it, it harkens back to old days where you would barter for it's things. Like bartering. You know, like how much is the cow worth in salt? Yes. Right? Yeah, right. So now that was kind of what it was. So I said, I will do the show. You give me 30 grand worth of trade. Done deal. Okay. My thought was, you know, I get to experiment. And he, this guy was great. He let me alone pretty much, let me do anything. And I got to completely create something, whatever I wanted to. And it was like having a blank canvas on a 100,000-watt radio station. Um, and and also at a time when nobody, like, my boss wasn't listening. That's kind of good, right? Just don't burn the place up. Right. <laughs> right. Keep the lights on. So my thought, my other thought was, like, you know, if I want to continue doing this, I can take this trade and I can go. They will allow me to go to clients and sell the spots, sell the spots back to, you know, to the clients. So... Uh, the only thing I did, I think I, maybe there were a couple of things, but I think I, I worked out a deal to get like a, a stereo put in my car or something like that. Because really my main focus then was getting on the air and getting an air check. And that is basically a demo. It's your resume, an audio yes, resume. it is. It's exactly what it is, an audio resume. So um, it wasn't long. That demo, that audio resume led to my first full-time job in Biloxi, Mississippi, where I like, you know, left to go live there. Um, another great experience. But I, one thing about the show that I that I did, what was my creative thing? It was so, you and I had a conversation with this about this a while back, but it was so far ahead of its time, I never realized what, until just recently, how crazy it was. Which, for some context, is the first time you've told me this story. Yes. Like, I, I this, yeah. this story for me is like two weeks old at this point. I because I forget, you know, I forget about some of the things that I was doing and where 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 we were, you know, where my mindset was on this. The actual show was called the interactive party dot com. This was. What you 2000. Say, yeah, ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a website where I post things about the show. If we had things that we did, I posted pictures. We'd post little stories or whatever. And then it had a chat room. And at this point, like chat rooms were the big thing. So people who were listening or whatever could come into the community and they could chat during the show and talk about what was going on during the show. And I had a producer, great kid. Um, his name was Monkey Boy. And he <laughs> he did a lot of that. His legal and, name, I'm sure. Right. Yes. Um, and, you know, he probably worked for free, too. I don't remember. But a lot that's a lot of us kind of getting our a lot of us kind of getting our start. But. Yeah, man, that was like some crazy ahead of its time stuff that I didn't realize till the other day. Like all of that now, what I was doing in 2000 or 99 or whatever it was, right? That's the model for how people do their shows nowadays with social media. I mean, there's even some major shows like syndicated shows now that that's their whole thing is like we're an interactive thing and there's like, you know. It's all live, and everybody's chatting. All right, let me go to Eric. You read the tweets. What are they saying on the Twitters? Right, right, on the Twitter sphere. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so it was really cool. I mean, I didn't, I mean, honestly, to be able to have that freedom, um, man, that's just something I'm just still grateful for. So that that's what really kind of launched it. 
I, I worked in uh, Mississippi. I went to Cincinnati. I worked a couple of stations there. You mentioned WEBN. Great. I mean, I don't want to gloss over any of those because I think part of it was having, the, like, I really had some amazing experiences, especially in Mississippi and Biloxi and, and in Cincinnati where I had just absolute freedom um, and here working for you, you know, in, sure. in Rapids. But the reason I brought up EBN is because that was really the, you know, when you're talking about being somebody in radio, it's much like any industry where you needed to be a journeyman at that point, right? You needed to travel, you needed to kind of make your name. And when you went to EBN, you were number one for a long time by a long shot. So before that I had worked, uh, this is the, this is another funny story about how I got that, how I got in my foot in the door in Cincinnati. But, um, my buddy Fish, who I told you about earlier, got a call from a friend of his that uh, uh, Rod Phillips, so you know, yep. who he'd worked with. And Rod was working in Cincinnati as the program director at the time. And Rod calls and says, hey, man, come on over. And Fish is kind of like, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I should do that. You know, he kind of had a, a weird situation where he worked in my town, but his family was about an hour or 45 minutes away in another in another state. And so he would go back home on the weekends. And so we had this kind of weird dynamic. And he's like, I'd be further away. It's a big city. I don't know if I really want to do all that. Um, But I just encouraged him. said, yeah, man, come on. And I actually drove him over for the interview and everything. So he goes over. He gets the job. Fast forward a few months. You know, I don't know, maybe almost a year later. And I was in Mississippi. But at the time, I had done nights at a top 40 station. And that company brought me over to do, because I was doing so well, brought me over to do nights on their their rock station, which was their kind of like their crown jewel. Um, That's a theme you'll hear repeated. Then I got to do, <laughs> I got to do mornings. And, and I won't want to get into like the full... Backstory, because I don't want to talk bad about the people that were involved, but one of the biggest pieces, the greatest pieces of advice somebody ever gave me was, her name was Lou Wright, psychic to the stars. She was Elvis Presley's psychic. <laughs> he gave her Cadillac. <laughs> this is real. But she said, always always do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, and always be where you say you're going to be. Like, always show up. You know, those were the biggest things, and it's so funny to me, because there were several times that I got to climb the ladder in advance just because... Somebody screwed up, so to speak. And there were two instances there in, in Mississippi alone where I got to do that night show, and then I, I got eventually got to do mornings. So those are big things. You get to put those on your resume, like, yes, mornings. In, you know. But Cincinnati calls. Um, I, I'm kind of they – bring, they bring the guy that was doing mornings back, and I have to uh, go back to do nights. And, um, and I'm like, man – I'm not happy here. I was mornings was what I wanted to do. We were having fun. Um, I got to get out of here. Time for the next thing. So my buddy fish is like, well, we have an opening to do commercials. You can do commercials. Come up here and produce commercials for two radio stations. Good money. Um, I went up interviewed and the real reason why I wanted to work there was because I knew that if I could do that, I could get my foot in the door to do what I really wanted to do, which was be on the air there and work for um, the people that were working there. One program director specifically was like a guy I looked up to. I thought he was a really good guy and and very creative, well known in the business. So that uh, that that I took that job at that point. Um, 
you know, what's funny is uh, I kind of had to fail out of that job. And he tells that story still that he had to fire me from that job. He took me to Bob Evans and fired me because I was I was really unhappy doing that job. It's 2001. Uh, and. I just wanted to be on the air, but here I am dealing with salespeople and clients, and it's just and it's funny because a lot of what I do now is voice work and production, et cetera. It's different when you're on your own, but then I well, have, and, and you're older, right? I think it's, when yeah. you're in a different space, you you, you deal with things differently. Yeah, because in 2000, God, I don't know, I was like 20 something two right. maybe <laughs> right. at the time, maybe 23. I don't know. I mean, I was really young, but. He says, we're going to fire you from this job, but we're going to let you come in and do Sunday night, the night show. And if you know, you probably know this station and uh, like the, the, the regular night shows were taped at this time from other markets. I wouldn't, wouldn't say syndicated, but it was something called voice tracked. Um, and so uh, the lineup was set like there wasn't moving anybody around or anything. Um. But when he fired me, he said, we're going to do, we're going to let you come in and do the night show all week, you know, the actual night show full time. But we're going to pay you $10 an hour because there's no budget for this. Right, right. But you get to keep all the money from all the, you know, the gigs from going out to do promotional stuff at nightclubs and bars and all this stuff and all that on top of it. I ended up making you know, well over six figures at the time. I'm 24 years old. What is going on? <laughs> you know? Um, and it's funny when that happened, ended up having the best ratings. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I'm, I'm gonna assume that nobody's beaten that since I had a 30 share. So one third of the market was listening to me at night and they were paying me $10 an hour. It's a deal for them. A deal, but it was also a deal for me because then what I had was power, right? Uh, yeah, I was on the radio station. We talked about this 1996 Telecommunications Act. So what happens is big companies bought a bunch of different stations, and what they would do is they would have one or two stations in their cluster, their stable of stations that are, you know, they're the they're the crown jewels. They're the ones that make the money, and the and the rest of the radio stations acted as flanker. It was all strategy. So I was on a sta- like a lesser station, right? That was never supposed to be anything other than like a, sta- a basically the setup you have here. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like could have run this thing. And I did see it was like a little mixer board, there's a computer, and then there was a microphone. And that's how it started and 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 grew from there. We ended up being number 1 in the market. But they did offer me the job at their Crown Jewel to do nights when their night guy left. And, and then eventually, I, uh, I, I, like you said, I, I did that for a while and still had uh, maybe even more freedom and, uh, and power to do like all kinds of crazy things, which is what you want when you're doing that. You want the creativity. You want to be able to do all kinds of fun stuff. And eventually, they asked me to come do mornings in Tampa. That didn't quite work out. And then I end up up here. Which is you do end up here, which but, is crazy. But before we get to Grand Rapids, you know, uh, I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time talking about the things that you were doing. But right. um, part of your personality, certainly at that point, was what I think most would call in management was poking the bear. Right. You oh, were, yeah, you were constantly trying yeah. to find out where that line was and how many times you could walk over it. Um, where do you think that? part of your personality came from because if you if we go back 20 minutes and it seems like this cute kid at car dealers telling <laughs> yuck yuck jokes you know at radio remotes 
evolves into this guy who highly successful on a number of radio stations ends up at this crown jewel in Cincinnati doing amazing things. And then all along is trying to see, well, how much leverage does this power afford me to do things like, and we don't need to spend a whole bunch of time talking about specific things, but I'll say one really quickly that Fox was putting out a show called prison break. And you know, you dressed up an employee as a prisoner. It's even worse. But I mean, I, you know, you can get as deep as into that as you would it like was to the do. Contestants, sorry, yes, they were contestants. Actual they weren't even listeners. They weren't even employees. You dressed them up as uh, yeah. So like yeah, you're putting people at risk. You're you're pushing the envelope for what? What is the purpose of that? Are you pushing okay. that for the ratings? Are you pushing that for the yeah? The, how can you get away with it? Is that the thing that you're getting I off think on? Some like, of it is some some of it is to push the envelope, right? Some of it is to push the line to know where that is. And to constantly be provoking. I was provoking when I was a kid. I was provoking emotion in different ways, like just like a smile or attention for whatever reason. But when it gets to that point, it becomes all about the the audience. And I think one of the things is being in the environment, how I really learned that and harnessed it was being in the environment that nurtured it and allowed it to happen. And what I mean by that is I worked for this company that I worked for was now it's iHeartMedia, was Clear Channel, and before that was called J-Core. And the CEO is a guy, a great guy named Randy Michaels. He hired amazing talent. He hired great program directors, and everybody was on the same page for, for, the, for, for the most part. The, like kind of the slogan of, of what we did was like, uh, you know, it was the noise you can't ignore. And it was this premise, and I think it's even more true today than it was back then, was because our world is so noisy. And think about the technology. Now radio, as we were just talking about radio and being disrupted, radio doesn't compete with other radio stations now or the newspaper. Let's say radio really competes with everything. Everything competes with everything. It's all a game for attention. Um I have a fa- I have Facebook. My phone's lighting up, and yours has gone off about three times during the interview. We're constantly being pinged, and by devices and by different channels all of the time. So, how do you get people to pay attention to you in a noisy world? How do you get noticed? You have to make noise, and that's one of the things that I that I learned and that I realized. Um, and you know, through so I was already kind of good at it. You know, it was a natural thing that I'd kind of acquired but then i really honed and polished it during those years of being in the environment where people allowed us to go out and do those things and yes i mean there were a lot of shock jockey things that we did right but um you said the prison break thing which was crazy yes we got national attention for that we dressed a bunch of listeners up the contest was we're going to drop you off like in a van in the middle of nowhere and you have to make it back to the radio station the first one who does wins this trip to go see the filming and meet the cast and it was just we would you you missed the key element to this contest is that they're wearing prison orange they're wearing orange jumpsuits yes so what happens is a mom in a in a neighborhood, and this probably could have been thought a little better thought through, but a mom in a neighborhood <laughs> sees these guys and freaks as she's taking her kids to school. Obviously, now you know. I mean, first of all, 
don't take anything that I have told you and that, that we did. It was a completely different world. Sure. Yeah. You no, know? this would be a bad idea right oh, now. Oh, now you would be fired. You would be sitting in jail somewhere. It would be a complete three back- of the contestants would have been shot at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah no. But back then, um, it was kind of the, the, the point was, um, and, and they operated. This is how Randy operated. If you didn't get complaints, you weren't doing your job. And on and vice versa, on the flip side of that, they always kept bail money in case somebody from the radio station needed to be bailed out of jail for something, <laughs> which, it, you know, was kind of a thing. Never for me. But, you know, that was kind of one of those one of those things. It, that's how the environment was of pushing, pushing the line. Now, can you imagine any of that today? Absolutely not. So the biggest turn in my think in my career came where I realized that I could do that for good, like all the crazy let's kind of shock you or let's provoke you that I could do that for good. And some of those things came when, when I worked with you here in Grand Rapids, which was, you know, um, we had this crazy cold snap. So we found, um, heaters and, and delivered them to people who needed, who, who had, a who had no heat, yeah. had no heat and needed them. Um, one of the crazy stories was uh, I weighed almost 400 pounds at one point, and we did a Biggest Loser thing, and I lost a lot of weight publicly, and we did you know television weigh-ins and all these things that um, started getting the, the emails and the letters from people or whatever, and it really started to hit me what kind of a difference I was making with people. And that really, that really shifted my focus to understand, like, okay, I had been doing... Like, I've been playing the amateur version of this up until this point. And then when we got there, it became like, oh, this is why, or this is what I'm really supposed to be doing. So one of the best things a good friend of mine, you know, had told me about radio, and I think it works with all mediums and business, et cetera, but it's like, you want to evoke an emotion, make them feel something, laugh, cry, yell at you, you know, angry, whatever it is, take them off. But you want to evoke a, an emotion. And, and the reason why is because that's the glue. That's the stuff that sticks. Sure. That's what makes people remember you. So I started realizing that I could use these dark powers for good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, hang on there, supervillain. Uh, we'll we'll stop right there, right before you head to Detroit, uh, which is the story I think lots of people have been waiting to hear about mm-hmm. the actual nightmare uh, yeah. and, and what happened when you went to Detroit. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Justin about what happens when he goes to his dream job, and it turns out to be midway through the Taylor Swift song. Uh, it's much more of a nightmare. We'll be back. It's Justin Barclays On Purpose. This is On Purpose. On Purpose. On the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Everybody has what they like. Some people like thinner, some people like fatter. Yeah, and I've dated heftier girls too. No, but here's the problem. Why can't we joke about that stuff? First of all, the heart wants what the heart wants, right? Some people like many different types. Some like blondes, brunettes, black, white, whatever. You can't chastise somebody to go, listen, I'm not attracted to fat. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is On Purpose on on the Blaze Radio Network. 
This is On Purpose with Justin Barclay. My name is Eric Hulkerin, and all hour long we've been talking to Justin Barclay about his life and how it's changed since a child when he wanted to be in radio, and he evolved into a shock jock, and now to the motivational spe- uh, speaker that he is as we're talking right now. So you make a quick stop in Grand Rapids, and we won't spend a lot of time talking about that, but what I will say is that in the time that you were in Grand Rapids, I noticed, uh, and you said this probably in the last segment, that you were all in. Mm-hmm. And you were a guy who was sleeping, I don't know, two hours a night, maybe. Um, and this job became something that started to, certainly in Grand Rapids, because I was able to see it, and probably in Detroit, which is where we we're going to go, started to consume you in a way that ultimately was not all that healthy. I think it always had, but I really think that like I started to realize a better balance of what was healthy and what wasn't right around my last year here. The reason I took the job here, the reason I came here, that that whole reason, the purpose was to go to Detroit or someplace bigger anyway. I mean that that was always the the end. I was your rebound relationship. You were, but I <laughs> But you know what? You had me at hello. Oh, okay, so. yes. You're just um, a boy trying to talk to a girl like Um I think that it's funny because, uh, I don't know, I, I have always been obsessed. And I, I still kind of struggle a bit with this because there are two schools of thought here. There is the whole all-in, burn-the-boats obsession is the only way to succeed, right? But then there is kind of where I have ended up with and that really determines defining starting let's start at the beginning and defining what is success to you i say that because both of us you and i could be in much different places doing much different things if we weren't a little more um or if we were a little less sure of what it was that we wanted sure you know and the reason I say that is like through the years, I think I, I, it was always for me, it was like the next big thing. It's all about, I got to get to the next big level, the next big payday, making more money. And if you look back, like, what did I do with all that money? Who knows? I, right. mean, I, I mean, every time we, we went can, out to we like, guess, right? Oh my gosh. Every time <laughs> we went out to like a, do a promotional thing at a bar or a nightclub or something, I just went and bought new clothes, you know? I, I wasn't a big fan of doing laundry, so I just go buy new clothes, and then eventually I take the pile that I had and I take it to somebody to the cleaners or whatever, and they clean it and whatever. But I had the cash; I wasn't really worried about anything else. I was worried about now doing this one thing and being extreme, you know, extremely consumed with what it is. Now you see people like I'll give you a great example: Elon Musk, who seems to be a very focused individual. Uh, doing amazing things with his business and what he's accomplishing. But if you looked at like success, right? And this is kind of how I look at it. It's like a wheel. Zig Ziglar used to have like the, the wheel of success and like took in all the different areas of your life. And is he successful in his family with his relationships? I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and judge him, but I do know that, from what I've read, those things have been kind of tough at times for him. I can imagine because I was the same way and my wife, I'm sure, and she'll tell you probably stories about like, she's like, 
you'd come home and just go to bed sometimes. Like that's how bad it was in Detroit. Like I would just come home and go to bed. The you know, we'd be up at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. They'd have us there for meetings until the end of the day, like three or four o'clock sometimes, some of these days, just ridiculous things that we were doing, or we'd be out, we'd be running, whatever it was, and then I'd just come home and I didn't have anything left in me and I knew that I had to go to bed. Like that's that's all I had. Or just the stress of dealing with the toxic environment. It was a very toxic place. And I think when you get when you start climbing that ladder, you start getting to places where other people are also climbing the ladder and they're they're obsessed and they're willing to do whatever it takes which if you start defining success by whatever it takes and you start to say like okay whatever it takes means by any means necessary and that means that you haven't set aside your principles and your values and started from scratch with those and said these these here these are the things that matter these are the things that matter first then success or whatever it is that that goal is or whatever it is that I'm trying to achieve. And so, you know, I had allowed myself to reach uh, a really unhealthy place, not just physically, but like emotionally, just like in a, in a bad spot um, here before I went through my transformation. Then, you know, I lost that weight here, you know, um, and kind of like refocused my life like, oh, and re- when I say refocused, it became like less about me and more about other people, more about like my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, you know, th- eventually my fiance or whatever, um, more about like inspiring other people. I was always about the audience. So I, I don't want to say like that wasn't something that I was thinking about, but I was always always everything i did was always with the audience in mind what is this going to mean how will they how will they hear it you know all of that so um i don't mean to say that i wasn't focused there but i i was more self focused than i was on other people so when things go bad and you know i can tell people can't see this but i can tell by your body language that we're mm-hmm. we're not going to get the nuts and bolts of what happened there which is fine i don't i don't know uh, that I, I, I mean i take responsibility i mean th- this is the thing i'll i mean i'll in in detroit i was hired to do something that i wasn't on the same page as they were and i didn't realize that until my first day on the air and when you sign a contract and it's a lot of money and you've moved and you're in this brand new big house and, you know, you're even told that, hey, you can still come back if you want. We'll all, you know, this was the, the guy that 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 uh, was our boss here at the time said, hey, you're all you always have a place here. Now, does that, is that true or or not or whatever? But you, you know, they've just put like all the industry presses out. You've got this big job like this is going to be awesome. And I was also ready for the challenge. Like I was ready. Like I want to do this. So from day one, it was battling what the upper echelons of management and not the guy who brought me in. Sure. Because the guy who brought me in is like family to me. We were all on the same page. But what they expected, and we start to see now, I mean, even now, if you look at that particular radio station, they have a different idea of what success is or what winning is. You know, 16th place is is not winning to me okay <laughs> um it's not winning to most but that was a very corporate and if i told you the name of the company it's three letters that you would you would completely recognize because it's a big you know big network big sure. company but it was a company that 
put more value on compliance, just comply. We have we have established our corporate objectives, and these are what we are going to. These are the guidelines. They're and the you, Borg, right? You cannot. Yeah. You must assimilate. Yeah, exactly. And. I was I've never been about that. No, you have not. No. I was the wrong person to hire for that job. There's I likely was the wrong a, hire. There's likely a long list of people they could have hired that would have loved to assimilate and comply. If you look at their company now, you can see a pretty good example, and I'm not just talking about that local specific example. But if you look at all of their different places, um those are the kind of people that they hire are just people that are going to do a certain, and they even told us like when I was there, the music is the star. Uh, you know, you're just here to like keep us on the air kind of thing. <laughs> that was a you're bad, back, you're back to the closet running high school football game. That was a right? bad recipe. Yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. So, and, and that's not necessarily where I want to go with this, where, mm-hmm. where I want to go with this is Okay. It takes a big person at this point to have the self-awareness to take responsibility for the part that you were responsible for. Yeah, yeah. I was not the... However, you know, when you came out of that, Mm -hmm. that was not where you were, right? You were angry when you came out of that, it seemed like, at least to me. Like, when when that all went down, that was like... There was some relief, but then there was probably a lot of like, okay, okay so, you know, what what do we do next? And I guess my question is, what's happening with you at that point? And then more importantly, is how do you come out of that with a with a product and a brand? And I hate to boil it yeah, down yeah. to those two things, but how do you come out of it with a product and a brand where you're like, all right, well, now I'm gonna do the prior thirty yeah. years, forget about all that stuff. Now I'm going to do this thing where I'm going to focus on other people and making my legacy sure. and then the rest of the world a better place so two things happened number one i think there was anger but there are different kinds of anger there's like the unhealthy kind that just completely eats you up right and there's the kind where you go damn this a lot of this is my fault you know if i look back when i was at you know 400 pounds i could say man i'm mad i'm angry but this is my fault so, moving forward, what do we do? Less calories in, more right. calories out. It's math, my friend. Yeah. yeah, right. So, I just started looking at, like, okay, first of all, I'd known for about a month because I got tipped off. This was going to go down. They auditioned the show that was going to take my place in front of my face. It was also one of the guys that was doing afternoons there that was already on the staff so i think the most frustrating part about it was the shift and how it happened so quickly it may have been boiling under for a while but they didn't i mean because i told you like from day one i knew that it was wrong but i didn't pull out and and then my thought process was we'll win and if we win problem solved problem solved but again our wins were not the same wins. <laughs> so um, that's why I stuck with it. That's why I doubled down. That's why I said I'm going to make the most of this. So guess what happened? I won. Despite the negativity, despite the, the thought that this was not a good place or this was not a good match. And like we meet from day one, it was bad. But like I won. Not only did I win, I won big. I won against a competitor who was paid, you know multiple times more than what we were being compensated with a smaller staff with absolutely no resources 
because that's who I was. That's how we were going to always been bootstrapped. We were always going to just, you know, gorilla the whole thing and, and make it work. But if you go back to the beginning of your story where you're a mobile DJ at age 12, yeah. right? That entrepreneurial spirit is burning in you the entire I time. I never looked at my show like I was an employee. I always looked at it like it was a separate entity. It was this thing and that that's how I ran it. You know, I would pay people sometimes out of my own pocket for things. I know I would you would. Take, you know, take people that were working for free, you know, and take them to dinners and things like that. And that's just what it was. It was about. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I spent like way too much. I mean, I had people that lived with me, just like you. <laughs> you know, I had, but like when I moved to Florida, like I moved, like there were like two or three people that moved down there with me to be a part of everything. And I, they lived in my house. <laughs> it's, know, it, so. it's really interesting though, as you know, we're sitting here in my offices yeah. um, and I can, I can tell you holistically in the sales and marketing, like there is no foster program for sales and marketers, right? Like you don't move to another market and other sales and marketing people live in your house. Like radio <laughs> has this, this interesting thing where, right. where they, you end up having to take in foster radio well, employees. Now, like, like human resources would be way involved with all this too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you couldn't. I don't know that you could do it now, but uh, no. I mean, I just never did. I never. Like, I don't think there are people living at Gary Vaynerchuk's house. Like, I just don't think that like he has right. employees that are just like cashed out because they couldn't afford their own housing or whatever. Nah, but you know what? That guy is. He he would. Oh, no he doubt he would know. absolutely do it. I just yeah. mean in the industry, that's not a thing that happens. Yeah, like, no, I. You're not I, moving to New York and then crashing on Gary's couch till you get settled. That's no. No, I, but I, who knows what the atmosphere is like there? I mean, I, I get, I think you're probably right. Radio is a weird beast, but no, I never looked at, uh, that gig or any of my gigs. I always looked at them and like, it was my kind of like my business. And then, you know, that, and I always kind of thought in my mind, like the, the, this will become a, uh, like a network or this will become like a major, there's going to be a company or something. And then, you know, and, and then I'll sell this show to other people kind of thing like that was like in my head so that was part of what i think i i wanted to accomplish when i went to detroit and i had a great platform to do it um but it just didn't work out like i said there was negativity there was um there was toxic environment people heavy politics which i'm just you know i'm not like a political i mean i understand them now more than ever sure thankful for that experience that's just not who i am like you i'm a genuine guy you what you see is what you get you know i'm not trying to operate in that house of cards you know game of thrones way right of, right way yes of doing business that's just not what it is and i appreciate loyalty i'm very loyal and 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 that's just that's just kind of why i think that you know i think that uh people they're under the impression that they have to sell their soul to be happy they have to sell their soul to have quote-unquote success to work for that company because that company is what's going to give them everything and i think millennials are changing their minds on this more than every anybody nowadays and i think we're starting to see more and more people kind of really come along to like hold on i can do things the way i want to do them and millennials i think are leading that charge like no i don't really no i don't care i'll sleep in my mom's basement i will do that you know Versus sell my soul. And I think we're going to see a complete shift in a lot of different places, the work, work, workplace. And people are going to start saying, no. I mean, I watched a crazy document. Have you seen um, Where to Invade Next? I have not seen it oh, yet. You're no. going to like yeah. it. Because it's totally not what you think it's going to be. 
but I don't agree with Michael like politically on a lot of things, but I think he does he does a good job of putting together the story, you know, and I got to give him credit for that craft, you know. Um, but he goes to like Italy first place and like they're like, yeah, we get like 18 weeks of vacation a year or whatever it is, you know, it's right, like a crazy right. amount and and every and it's not just like a government thing. It's like a cultural thing. It seems like they're all in on it. Like they all agree with it. It's not some government program that was passed down. It's like, no, no, the people that own this place are totally cool that when you have and you, you know, you know this having had two kids now, but like they have this thing like when you get married, you get 12 weeks off vacation on top of everything else. When you have a kid, you get like six months, right? Six months. Yeah. Uh, what? Right. And, um, you know, also like in the middle of the day at lunchtime, everybody goes home for two hours to eat lunch with their families. Can you imagine what that would do in our culture and our society? If people well, first, would, I don't know how I would answer my emails if I had to deal with my children at lunch. I just don't know. The answer is you wouldn't have those emails. <laughs> I'm kidding. You wouldn't have them I, because now everybody sends the way it is now American. And I don't get me started on this because uh, this whole thing, you know, after watching that and I've been coming to this realization, I think it's part of where I am now is that more doesn't always equal better. Uh, not Michael Moore, but the sure. Yes. You, you know what I'm saying? Like more doesn't always equal better, but this very, um, Americanized kind of thought that we have to have the bigger, the bigger your truck, the better, you know, and there are a lot of great things that we have a lot of great. I mean, just look at like, Bacon, you can put bacon, more bacon on everything, I'm in. That does, that kind of ruins my argument. More bacon uh, is better. Well, that is better, but I don't know that that's <laughs> culturally exclusive to the United States of America. No, but you see what I'm saying? Yes. Like, I, I just think that we, we live by this kind of thought process that more money means we're doing better. The bigger the house that we have, that means we're, we're doing better. It means we must be happier. And a lot of that is a consumer-driven... Everything is marketing. Right. The name of the podcast, right? Uh, but a lot of that is a consumer-driven, like, and, and it's from the marketing of, so there's something missing in he, inside of you, and here's what can fill that hole. And the, the truth is, is none of, none of it does. None of it does. When I left that day, I still remember what, it, what we knew. Like I said, we knew for like a month. And for that month, we kept ducking out. We'd leave at like 9.59 because we got a fear at 10. <laughs> so we'd leave. Like nobody could find us. Oh, they're gone. We just thought we could just, we can last it. We can ride it off a little bit better, a little bit longer. But the reason, the reason we thought we would do that is that for, man, I guess I, my contract was renegotiated and, and they re-signed me in November of 2011. In March 30th of 2012, I was fired. What happened in that time period? It wasn't me losing. It wasn't any. It wasn't anything other than my the guy who brought me in, who was my kind of my protection, my shield. He had to leave, so they brought in their own people, and those new people needed to pick their own people. They needed to start from scratch because they had to put their stamp on it. So it's this big, big kind of corporate way of saying like we did something. Well, it's 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 and no offense to the entire industry, but it's it's essentially what consultants are built on, right? Like you don't hire a consultant to come into your business to tell you everything's okay. They have to change something, right? Bring in new management. They have to change something because they're the new management. And knowing that and being completely at peace at it with it, 
you know, I wasn't happy necessarily at the time. Uh, I, some of the things I was frustrated and angry about. But at the same time, it was eye-opening, and I'm super grateful for it because I knew a couple of things. Everything happens for a reason. I don't know if it was like right then, but I did know right then that something bigger was coming. I'd been talking to some other people, some agents about doing some other things, and um, I looked at it, looked at it, and I think this is where the, the rubber meets the road. I looked at it as an opportunity, not as a disaster, not as a, a major problem. I looked at it as, this is great, now what can I do? Blank canvas, right? Now I can do anything. And I wasn't really sure, and I took time. I mean, everything up until now has been a progression, right? It's been a process of events and things happening. You know, started knowing that I didn't want to work for anybody else in the sense that all my eggs would be in one basket. I wanted to have, you could say multiple streams of income, but really just the freedom of knowing, like, if one goes away, we can replace it or we'll be fine. We'll sure. figure it yep. out. So, you know, some of the things, the skills that I had went back to, you know, I do a lot of voiceover work for and production with commercials and radio stations, the actual promo work, still do those things. Love it. Um, but I also started to think like that's not doesn't fulfill me like pa my purpose and my passion about what should I be doing because I still am a very effective communicator. What can I do? And I started I started in 2012. I started reading everything I could get my hands on. I started like going through all of any sort of training or skill set thing that I could find internet course or thing that would teach me how to do a, like Facebook ads or teach me how to do. Um, webinars or build a blog, you know, uh, and so that's what I started doing, building a blog from scratch, podcasting, started building a podcast, uh, had no idea what I wanted to do with the blog or with the podcast. I just knew that I needed to, to have one. And I had these things that I wanted to say because after all I was reading, so I was learning things and I just needed to complete the, the, the sequence, which I think in, in order to really truly learn anything, um, you know, you, you must teach it. You've got to pass it on, right? You've got to complete it by passing it on. So I just started making videos and stuff, like putting it on YouTube. And so I don't care how many hits I would get. I wasn't like really, I just had stuff in me that I needed to get out. And I felt like even if one person watches this, it's like this podcast right now. Even if one person hears this and gets something good out of it, it was worth it. Because it's the one, that's where you, that's where the magic happens. Like, if you go to a seminar, an event, right, there's going to be one thing, chances are it's one thing that will happen or one thing that you will take away that could ultimately change your life. That's where the magic happens. Being around people who are excited. You know, I remember when you were doing your, uh, your the Seth Godin group that we had. Sure. We would meet together. Just being around people who were, like, interested and, like, passionate about doing these things. Um. Environment is a huge key, but you're going to take things away uh, by reading. You're going to take things away by going to events. You're going to take things away by listening to podcasts or audiobooks, whatever it is. You're going to things that you're going to your life is going to change because you're going to start to see things differently, which is the key to all of it. Because if you don't what if you find yourself in a place where you don't 
you don't like where you are and you don't want this anymore, then you have to do something different. You may not know exactly what it is that you must do, but in order to open up your mind to discovering that, you have to start the journey. And so nowadays, like what I'm really passionate about is taking those people who are deciding, hey, I want something more. I want something different and helping them along the way. We're going to see more and more people throughout the years. I mean, very soon. I just heard this crazy report the other day. The semi trucks that they have on the roads right yep. now in California, these they've got like two or three of them that are completely autonomous right now that are run by computers that are driving the roads. They said by 20... Seven years from now. 2020? Was it 20... 21. Okay. So by 2021, they will... Every truck on the road is going to be automated. Is that... I mean, I don't know if it's every truck or if it's... They're going to have... Well, it's that company, right? Whatever okay. that company is. Auto. Auto. Um, so, you know, in seven years from now, they're going to have automated trucks that will be traveling around. And, and you know, when you, when you think about to kind of put a finer point on that, right? Mm -hmm. There's disruption in the factories in yeah. robotics. There's going to be dis you know, disruption in truck driving. There, it will start like this. This is how it happens. And, and you said you had, you had a month yeah. head, heads up that you were going to be let go, right, right? right? You've got a seven year heads up, guys. There's going to be trucks that are automated that need people in them for a little bit until they don't. That's what they say. Like right now, there are guys in these trucks right now. And what, what they're saying is that eventually... What's going to happen is they'll start off where like, oh, it's, it's convenient because the driver can sleep while the truck keeps moving, keeps moving. <laughs> but eventually they won't need the driver at all. No. And it will meet a dock where a robotic forklift will unload all of the things yeah. and automatically take inventory. And then eventually somebody will touch it or maybe they won't. Maybe drones will pick them up from Amazon and drop them off at your house. And then know. there's no humans involved at all. And the point is, it's not a matter of when we get there it's a matter of it of, or not if we get there but it's a matter of when we get there because it's coming and it's not just your truck drivers it's in mcdonald's now and wendy's just came out with it this week the kiosks that they're going to have or that they already have in a lot of places not too far from here there's mcdonald's that have automated kiosks that you walk up to as a customer and you tap on the touchscreen what you want and you swipe your card and you're done and they don't need so so the whole idea of hey give us fifteen dollars for minimum wage at McDonald's they will have a fifteen dollar minimum minimum wage but instead of being five people working at fifteen dollars it'll be one working at fifteen dollars and they'll actually save money what they versus what they were making uh, and what they were spending and it'll be with one person who's floating just to make sure that you've got your order all right and everything's working and they're going to smile and, and all that. And then make sure that you get your order when it comes up. Do you remember going out to eat when you were younger and every restaurant that you went out to eat at, you just left, the food was left on the table and then it was cleaned up by somebody, right? Sure. Well, McDonald's, another great example. All of a sudden, they're along the way becomes this time where everything's on the tray and then you take the tray to the trash can as the customer. There's nobody cleaning your table. You take the tray and it says, thank you on the thing. And so they're now programming the customer. 
So it's just a matter of time before it t- 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 to handle your own trash. That was unthinkable years ago that as a customer, you would handle your own trash <laughs> at a restaurant. Right. Now it's like, well, why wouldn't I throw it away? That's right. You know, you throw your trash away everywhere unless it's at a place where you're tipping. You know, sure. Nine times out of ten, you know. Um, so it's changing, it's coming, and it's not just this specific industry. Uh, we're in Michigan. The auto industry is huge here. We're seeing major changes here. I have a relative, Lizzie's uh, uncle, that is uh, was working for a big company. He literally helped them transition, not knowing this whole time. They were moving things to Mexico. Finally, and he was down in Mexico, like training workers, dealing with paperwork, going back and forth across the border, the parts they made for car parts, the interior of the car. So finally, it got to the point now where they're shutting down all of the local. Now they're shutting down all of the local um, plants. Everything's being done in Mexico. And he finally worked himself out of a job. So you know what he's doing now? He takes his skills. This is what you're going to have to do. As if, if you're going to change, you're going to move forward. This is the thing that I realized. Take what the skills that you have. You, you do have a certain set of skills. Evaluate what they are, what you're good at, what you know how to do, and then figure out what the gap is between there and where you want to go and add those skills. So now he's a consultant, and he helps other companies do the exact same thing that, that he used to do. But... He also makes more money because it's his own thing. Sure. But he also has to learn the new skills of how am I going to acquire customers? Clients. Clients. HR, accounting, all of that stuff. All of the business stuff. Sure. Like it's not, it's not fun. But here's the good news. You can outsource all of the stuff you don't want to do too. You can do all that. So we're very exciting times. I'm here to help the people that, are, that want to be helped, that are ready not everybody is. And I think that um, it's going to be kind of sad to see how some people get left in in the dust on some of this. But you can't. There's one thing that I've learned over the last several years, especially, though. But you can't make other people take your help. Like you can't help other people if they don't want it. We, we have this thing called free will, and we have to be able to, I mean, we have to be able to say, okay, do I want help or not? And and it's, 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 it really does come down to taking that responsibility. And I think that was probably one of the biggest game changers for me was saying in 2012, when my dream job turned into the nightmare – that, hey, you know what? I'm kind of responsible for this. But here's the good news. If I'm responsible for this, that means I can be responsible for creating the future that I really do want. And so that's where we all are. That's where you are right now. Step out on that journey. I know it's scary, but you take one step, another step. And it it's never gets not scary because it's always you're always kind of like, okay, now what? But there's hope because you start to understand like, you can build in some protections. You can build in some buffers. Right. And, and you, you always start to learn that once you learn that problem-solving skill and that you can – then it kind of gets fun. When you have a new challenge, oh, okay, now what? How do I handle this? Well, 
lean back, crack the knuckles, and go to work. And, and you will. It, it, it works every single time. All right. Justin Barclay has been joining us on his own show. Uh, Justin, if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? I'm Justin Barclay, and you're not. Yes, that's very true. Uh, you know the blog, man, and you're going to find show notes at justinbarclay.com slash purpose. Zero one three for everything that we talked about. Obviously, this has been, I'm going to say hands down, the best interview that we've ever done. <laughs> uh, no, but thank you, man. I do appreciate you doing this. You're this was welcome. a lot of fun. You can close out your own show. Though, I'm, so. I'm glad that we got to do it with you. This was this was a blast. Yeah, I wouldn't have picked anybody else. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. And you, honestly, I have to say, this is one good thing about Eric is... You're great. You are a good interviewer. You really are. You know what I mean? Thank you. But you didn't know, like, I mean, you knew some of these things about me, but some of the stuff I'm sure you didn't know. You took it in a completely different place. I didn't really expect to even go. So I'm glad. I'm glad that we went there. I'm glad that we got that that uh, that picture. And um, I'm glad that we got to do this. Instead of like plugging my blog, let's plug your podcast. Because sure. I think that's like, I really think that people... If you are going to f- try and figure out, like, I don't know what it is that you've got a home business or you've got something that you want to get the message out, you, you really, everything is marketing and you really are going to need not only to say, but it's just a really entertaining, I mean, it's an entertaining podcast too. Thanks. Yeah. It's called Everything is Marketing. You can get it off of iTunes and or Stitcher, or you can always find everything that I'm doing currently at polymathandvine.com, which is spelled P-O-L-Y-M-A-T-H-A-N-D. V-I-N-E.com. And not to confuse them, but that is one of 50 podcasts that you do. It, it, But you can find all that <laughs> stuff there, right? Like, I, I'll only hit one, and you can go find the rest there. No, I love it. Well, let me ask you, like, how did you, I mean, before we wrap, wrap, what, like, like, how did you find this podcasting? Was this, like, the thing, and we kind of probably talked about this before, but, like, you have, like, 14 podcasts or whatever, right? Because uh, I, much like you, I, I came from radio um, and didn't want to do it that way anymore. And this allows me to literally do whatever I want to so do. Just get to talk about whatever it is that whatever. you want to talk about. Yeah. Very interesting. And you know, the marketing one was born out of, you know, coming over to the company that I'm at, I am right now at M live is that they're doing all of this cutting edge stuff that I yeah. just think businesses should be aware of before they end up being the automated truck. Right. You got to learn it. If you don't, you are out of business. It's absolutely true. This has been awesome, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Well, that was certainly different, <laughs> but it was fun. And I'm still glad we got a chance to do it. And I'm glad we got a chance to do it uh, with Eric. He's great. Definitely check out his show. We'll put the link in our show notes too. justinbarkley.com slash purpose zero one three. And again, I had another guest lined up. I had somebody that I can't wait to share with you. Great guest big name but we had a scheduling conflict and so we're rescheduling we're looking at having that person back uh could be this max this month or early june so i will keep you in the loop on that uh until next time again by all means go to the blog check out the show notes and grab my all access vip newsletter literally dozens of ways that you can live life on purpose and get freedom i'm talking about the real kind whether you have a job or not whether you got a side hustle, maybe you've got a blog, a biz, a book, something that's deep in your heart. You want to get it out. Maybe you got a song you got to sing to the world. I'd love to support you and help you take that next step. Of course, you can get on my all access newsletter by texting four four two two two. That's four four. 
888-222-2222 and just my name, Justin, to that number. And it'll ask you for your email address. Just shoot that back and you're in. That simple. It's that easy. Or go to justinbarclay.com and log in uh, that way. Until next time, cheers to you in your life on purpose. All you are.